Soccer's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, my friend, to the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, Brad Wilson, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com. And in today's episode, we have up-and-coming poker star, Twitch streamer, and MTT pro, Brian the Golden Blazer Frenzel. Brian's going to tell you his story step-by-step from mascotting in college, which is a true story, to becoming an educator, to discovering the game of poker, and finally putting all of his earthly possessions into his car, moving to Vegas, and taking his shot. In today's episode, you'll learn how Brian's Twitch community helped him overcome a brutal personal struggle, why full poker immersion helps expedite the growth process, how other people's energy levels can give you an extra boost in the back stretch of your poker sessions, and much, much more. So, without any further ado, I bring to you Brian, the Golden Blazer Frenzel, on Chasing Poker Greatness. Brian, welcome to the show. How you doing, sir? Thanks, I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing okay, man. Doing okay. Good. A little tired, but ready to dive into this conversation, get some energy from you. Absolutely. I'm a high, I'm a high energy streamer. So that's a, that's a good place to come for, for some energy, for some excitement. High energy streamers are the best kind of streamers. True. Uh, I'm a low energy streamer because I have to conserve energy across the board. Just playing poker takes such a massive toll on me cognitively that I can't, uh, I can't do all the things at once. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not good at, good at, all the, the interaction, like streaming just requires such a skill set that I personally don't really have. Yeah, it does. I think um, I've seen, and especially since, you know, we have COVID-19 going around and I think there've been a lot of people that have kind of like dipped their toe into streaming and like online poker has obviously become a lot bigger in the last two, three months because of that situation. Uh, I think I think there are two different skill sets. I think being a high level poker player and being a high level streamer are kind of two different skill sets. And you can have people obviously that combine both, you know, the people at kind of the top of the top of the Twitch totem pole, totem pole, like Lex, you know, easy with aces, Sprague. you know, you got the guys at the, at the top that are very good at combining both high level poker play uh, as well as high level streaming interaction uh, but it's not necessarily easy because you have to develop both skill sets kind of independently and then figure out how to kind of lead them together. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a little tricky. Yeah, it's tough. It's and you gotta be so consistent with it. It's just, there, there's a lot that goes into being a high level Twitch streamer. And yeah. before we get into your Twitch stream, let's dive into the story of how you got to start playing cards in the first place. Yeah, so I actually I'm 28, so I'm a, I'm pretty young um, as far as like live poker, just like generally. Um, so I didn't play until 2015. Um, so I'm like really late on the online spectrum. 
I didn't even, I didn't even know about Black Friday until I like got into the poker community. Um, what happened was I was actually at a casino. I was on a date at a casino and we went and played blackjack. We brought like, I don't know, maybe $200. Why'd you go on a date at the casino? It was, it would, it had been like a consistent relationship. And also, um, I lived in Northern Mississippi at the time and there's not much to do in Northern Mississippi besides go to Tunica. So like, yes, (laughs) I mean, there's a few things to do, but like Tunica is definitely one of the, uh, one of the better points of Northern Mississippi for sure. I have been to Tunica, Mississippi, and I can attest when I was, when I was there 15 years ago, the way I always thought of it was like playing Sim City back in the day when yes. your game starts and you have like an X and there's just nothing. Like yes. I imagine somebody in Mississippi just randomly built a bunch of casinos out in the middle of nowhere. There's like nothing, nothing, nothing. And then casinos and some outlet shopping. I think one of my first poker live poker tournament series experiences was staying in Tunica for like two weeks. And I, it was horrible. Like you have to go to like Memphis basically to get something to do. Yeah. It's actually interesting. Um, I learned a lot about the history of Mississippi. I was in there. Tunica actually built the casinos. My understanding of it is Tunica built the casinos because the school district had like no funds. And so they're like, what can we do to raise funds for the school district? And they were like, we can just put casinos here and just like tax the crap out of them and get money for the school district that way. And so that's kind of what they did. Um, And that's why it kind of looks like super weird and like fire their casinos here but yeah uh it worked out i mean tunica's a well-known poker and casino destination now at least so uh, sure. but yeah so we were we were on a date um and we just like lost all our money pretty quick like i didn't really even know like basic strategy of blackjack or anything and so i but i like i enjoyed it and so i went home and i was like that was fun I know I knew blackjack was beatable because like I know you know I'd seen 21 and like I'd heard things and I was like I wonder like you know I wonder what that looks like and so I like did a little research and I was like that sounds very difficult like not just like the card counting and things like that but like having to evade security and like the, it was just a lot and I didn't want to I didn't want to deal with all of that and I was like well, I'd heard poker was beatable too like what's that look like and so at the time I had a 45-ish community uh 45 minute commute to work. And so what were you doing? I was teaching. I was teaching in Northern Mississippi. Yeah. I was a math teacher. Um, And so during the 45 minutes, I would just listen to poker videos and I'd listen to like training videos. And, and I basically had an hour and a half of, of practice every single day. And it really developed just like, I mean, anything you do for an hour and a half a day is going to, is going to get you better at that skill. How important would you say your math teaching degree, your experience in math was with that translating to being a more successful poker player? I think it makes a big difference. Um, I think I'm like a very math heavy player, like the way I approach the game and the way I think about the game. I'm also just like a math heavy person generally. Like I just kind of think of things analytically. I think of things in terms of EV. So I had never, I had never really thought of it in that context until I started playing poker, but the concept that, okay, if I flat nine, eight suited here on the button, what does that look like long-term as far as, is that going to be a profitable flat? Is that not going to be a profitable flat? That concept came very easy to me. And I think that if, if I didn't have a brain that worked that way, 
I don't think it would come that easily. I think it's very, it's very easy to be results oriented generally in the world. And I'd already started kind of training myself to not be results oriented and to look at big picture type things. And I think that was more valuable than anything. Uh, Matt Hunt, previous Chasing Poker Greatness guest, uh, talked about math and how poker is a game of pure math. If you really break it down to its basic elements, it's pure yeah. math that is taught verbally. And there can be a big disconnect there when it comes to verbally expressing mathematical things that are somewhat abstract to folks that aren't familiar with poker. So just having the basis in math is likely super helpful um, yeah. as a and beginner. I mean, even, even outside of, I mean, obviously, when you get started, you start thinking about, when you start taking the game moderately seriously, you start learning about pot odds, you start learning about implied odds, you start learning about you know, probabilities in all in situations and things like that. And that's all like good raw mathematics, but the game, the mathematics in the game, the fundamental mathematics of the game are much deeper than that. It goes into, I mean, obviously we, we like to throw around game theory optimal as like a buzzword, but like game theory is like a real thing in mathematics and like reaching a Nash equilibrium, like all of those concepts I, I already understood and now I was just kind of applying them to poker. Yeah, I mean, well, what happens is some things are more opaque. For instance, mathematically, you mentioned the 8-9 on the button. Well, who's the opponent? What's their opening sure. frequency? What are their post-flop tendencies? Do they have any patterns you can take advantage of? How squeezy are the blinds? Like, all of these things, you can break them down into mathematical terms, but also yeah. you think about them as sort of individual variables that will affect our decision pre-flop and then post-flop. And it, it gets, the math is fairly simple. However, the variables get very complex and then yeah. applying that correctly is very tough. So you're learning, right? You're, you're driving in your car. You're, yeah. you're learning an hour, hour and a half every day. Mm-hmm. What, what next? What happened next yeah. in your poker Story. So then, of course, I had to learn about Bitcoin because in 2015, <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know anything about Bitcoin, um, and so I'm like, all right, um, there'd been, I feel like there'd been like a little blow up in like 2013, 2014, just like a small little spike because I'd heard of Bitcoin, but I hadn't like used it or had any or anything like that, um, and so I like figured that out, um, and then I deposited on you know an offshore site, and um, I actually started. I mean, like, obviously at this point, I still don't have like a concept of bankroll management. Like I remember, I think I deposited like a hundred dollars and I was playing like $5 on demands. And just like, it was just like, not like no concept of like what you had a job, right? Like yeah, 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 revenue coming in. So yeah. So I mean, like it was fine. It was just funny. But the first thing I really became a reg at was actually jackpot sit and goes. I like, I like really started grinding those just cause I enjoyed the like, variants of them like I enjoyed just like going really hot or like going really bad and just like oh like you know it's just it was exciting and the funny thing was is I and I I will hold this is this is a very strong opinion I have I think the vast majority of poker players people that end up you know becoming consistent professional poker players whatever I think the vast majority start when they start playing poker as like a recreational, whether it's in their home game or whatever, they start with like a a very hot streak. Like everyone starts above EV because 
it's very easy to like be attracted to like, oh man, like I just keep winning. I just keep winning and like get in that mindset. And I could imagine if I'd started playing poker and I had just gotten wrecked and I'd just been like in the middle of a massive downswing from the get go, I'd have been like, well, screw like, I like, this isn't like, you know, it's not enjoyable. And I don't so, know. I, I, you don't think so? so? Like it, so DGAF uh, from the sessions podcast, he's, he, he's in line with you as far as people running good when they first start. And I, I can't make the argument that I ran bad because I ran good in 2004. However, mm. running good was fairly relative back then because pe- players playing live limit poker were very, very, very bad. Sure. But I've coached a number of students. I've coached people who start out and face resistance. And maybe they face resistance for six months or a year and they struggle in their career and then they're paying for coaching. And so I know that yeah. people do start their careers out losing yeah. and keep fighting the good fight. My, mm-hmm. my opinion is that when you love it and you, you genuinely believe that it's beatable and you have proof that it is beatable, that likely you just keep fighting. You know, you, you can try to yeah. stuff the bug away, but then you get another 500 bucks and make another deposit. Like if you run long enough and you're playing well, then you will eventually win. Like yeah. you're, you're basically it, it, it's inevitable if you keep running long enough, you will win. So I think it does weed some people out, but I don't think it's a hundred percent necessary. Yeah. So yeah, so it was just interesting. And I remember cause I started on the jackpot sitting goes, which are like the most variants. And I was looking at my TPT four lines and it had my yellow line was so far below my green line. Like I was running so good that I remember thinking like, oh, like there's probably some bug with poker tracker where like, cause like clearly I'm winning, like, you know, like maybe it's not quite that high, but like, I mean, like, look at how massive the spread is between these two lines. Like, obviously, like, obviously I'm winning at like this rate, you know, or like uh, close to it. For the um, listener that, that is unaware, the yellow line is expected EV mm-hmm. and the green line is actual results. So yeah. he basically, he, his poker tracker is telling him that he's running super hot and he's not believing it. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I had no experience with like what super hot looked like, you know? And so of course then it came crashing back down and I mean, that's the way it works, but um, I just, I, I have a specific memory of like, just like disbelieving poker tracker. Like here I am this like new person and like, Oh, there's an error in there in their code for sure. I, I, so I think EV is wrong in general. Like the mm-hmm. expected EV and hold a manager is not accurate by really any stretch. I would say it's probably more accurate in spin and goes where mm-hmm. you have, you're getting it in pre a ton, right? Yeah. Like, so you're just running pre flop equity calculations over and over and over. Whereas cash, you get in way deeper in the decision tree. The river doesn't even reflect any sort of EV. So you could have 95% equity on the turn most of the money goes in, they bink the river, you put the last of it in and your expectation is to lose all of it. Right. Obviously it's not, not right. But um, this is how it is for everyone, man. You, yeah. When you're running well, you have the thought, well, I'm actually when you're on fire, that you have the thought, you know, I may be getting a little lucky here and there, but right. I'm not like playing, <laughs> playing exceptional. I'm not getting exceptionally lucky, right? Um, that's always the thought. You always think it's sustainable, even though, of course, nothing is nothing like that is ever sustainable. Yeah. And conversely, when you're in a downswing, it becomes, and I've done a lot of mental game work, but it becomes very difficult to like, 
to convince yourself that like, you're just not going to get beat up every session. Like it, it gets tough to to keep that mindset. No matter how long you've been in the game, everybody has that thought at some time, regardless of who you are in the poker world, every single person who plays enough poker will get just completely obliterated. All the bad things that can possibly happen will happen to you on a long enough timeline. Yep. Um, but yeah, that's uh, mo- most everybody. I think mental game is like the number one thing that every poker player deals with. Like yeah. every, no matter what your level is, no matter how successful you are, or how successful you've been, everybody struggles in the mental game aspect of poker. So you're, yeah. you're on your upswing. Yep. What happened? You, you ready to go pro? Like, what was the- no. So, so then I think I played, I think I like started going to like the 25, $40 jackpots, which are just like, I mean, that's, that's just like reg city. And I started getting wrecked there. And then I was like, okay, like I need to, I need to figure out what's going on. And so I was playing recreationally for probably about two years at that point. Uh, and then I started, so I, I deposit, I was about break even at that point. Uh, and global poker came out and they gave me, it was like two free sweeps to sign up. It was like super early on the site. And I was like, okay, like I'll sign up, get the two free sweeps. And so then I like, just like regged with those and just ran that bankroll up, um, playing mainly sit and goes on there. Uh, and just kind of from there developed the stream, just developed everything just kind of snowballed from that point. You know, once you get that momentum behind you and, and you're, you feel every day you wake up and you're just ready to go. You're ready to go. Um, it works out. It works out really well to just kind of keep the momentum building and you just understand what you're going to go do every day. And it was, it's really freeing to be in a spot where it's like, all right, you know, like I'm going to go grind. I'm going to go, you know, work on stream stuff. I'm going to go work on YouTube stuff. I'm going to, you know, like what, what's on the docket today. You know, like today I have to make my, my punt of the week video, you know? So like, what's like, what, like, what are we coming up with today? Like, I know there was a punt. Uh, I had, I think it was two days ago that somebody was like, that's the punt of the week. And I'm like, yeah, probably. So what was the punt? Uh, I don't actually remember the hand. I need to go back. I was like eight tabling at the time. It just happened to be the one that was showed on screen. But yeah, I was, I think I like call, I think it may have been like a bounty. I think it was a bounty situation. And so it like got weird with the bounty because like I was like kind, I think it was like a 50% bounty. So I like really like the bounty was worth a lot of chips. And so I was like kind of priced in. And then there was like maybe like a reshove over top of me. And I was like, oh no, like now I'm super priced in and this is like not good. Would we call it off with? I don't remember. I think it was like nine, eight suit or something like that. It was just like, we're getting the price. Cause like we can have just overs here and like we have, we have like, 36 37 percent so like we just have to go with it but like we're certainly not feeling good right now so you're on i I remember that of course that's why it's the punt of the week right (laughs) like you don't get the punt of the week on hands you win it's true although Um, although there certainly have been hands that i've gone if this guy snaps me off here this is a punt of the week like we're going for it but like this is not a good bluff line (laughs) so you deposit on global What, what did what did running it up look like like as far so, as your bank. Yeah, so I started, they just gave two free sweeps. They dropped two free sweeps in the account when you signed up. I think it's actually like, they get, you get like a 20 sweep package now and you, I don't know. Anyway, so I started just with 55 cents sit and goes. Uh, and I built that up to like maybe 20. And then I started registering, registering the 3.3. 
thing goes. And I just kept going um, to the hundred level. And, and back then it was super soft. I mean, global is now kind of like one of the, the top four, I would say like the unregulated of the unregulated U S sites. But back then it was like kind of unheard of. And so it was like, kind of like, um, Oh, what's the, he's like rounders poker or something. There's like a new one. Um, it was like, it was like small. And so there were just like not a lot of regs. There was not a lot of good play. Like I was playing, I was playing like one ten sit and goes and it would be like five open limps to me off of like 15 bigs. And I was like, what is this existence? Like, how is this even real? Yeah. Um, Tell no one just sit in your little hidey hole. Yeah. And, and it's actually, it's really sad because like back then I didn't, I wasn't putting in the volume that I like could have and undoubtedly missed out on some like crazy soft games, which I mean, happened. everybody that lived through the golden age of poker has that same. So jelly. I'm so jelly. (laughs) Didn't play enough. Uh, I think the one misnomer of the golden age of poker, I mean, the games were good. However, I see a lot of times on message boards and stuff that's like, if I played back then, I would just, I would have been a crusher. Everybody was giving money away, blah, blah, blah. Like people are still trying to win. They weren't as advanced as they are today, but the way that they got more advanced was through solver work and Flopzilla and Sims and all of the training sites and all of this stuff. So basically to those people who think that I call BS. Oh yeah, for sure. Basically, if you're, if you're good at poker and you have a good poker mind and you're resilient and strong and willing to have a good work ethic, you would have been successful at poker then and you would be successful at poker now. And uh, yeah, that's just, that, those are my feelings on poker. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you look at like, you know, the titans of that age, right? Like Jennifer, Gigabet, at least like talking sit and goes and like Gigabet's talking about block theory, um, like 11 12 years ago you know no one had a concept that like okay these chips are more important than those chips like that wasn't a concept that anyone was thinking like kind of developed that you know jennifer coming and i don't know if jennifer was the first to like actually do nash equilibrium push fold charts but like certainly towards the cutting edge of that like that stuff just didn't exist as much i mean Um, it did exist but just not in the not not in the same terms that we think about it today like we think about icm right Mm -hmm. but on a sit and go on party poker Back in 2005, I was playing the $200 sit-and-goes. Z. Justin was in the game. He was one of the 200 sit-and-go regs, and he mm. would also play the the steps up to... I think the 1K steps got running fairly regularly. The 5K steps would never, ever, ever run. Mm. Um, but anyway, like with four players left, three players get paid. It's pretty obvious that if somebody has one big blind and somebody has 1.5 big blinds and then somebody else has 30, that the 30 big blinds is worth less than sure. the one and the 1.5. And like, so basically you would get, get yourself into these spots where you can make good ICM decisions as the aggressor with all the chips, putting people in spots where they just shouldn't call over and right. over and accumulate chips. And this was like fairly regular strategy. It's just nobody really... Again, poker is a, a mathematical game. And right. over time, we've started verbalizing these theories out loud. But I'll, I'll also sometimes read or see somebody say like, oh, when was the first time people started putting people on ranges? Back in 2005, you just put people on a hand. Like, no, we were always putting people on ranges. That's just, sure. <laughs> that's something that you just, whatever. I don't know, some assumption that you make. But like, we didn't even, 
ranges was a, a term that that did come a little later on but like we would say like oh they could have this 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 or this and then you know play it out yeah infinity times but uh anyway i'm off my i'm off the golden age soapbox now yeah for sure <laughs> i i i desperately wish that i'd been around that time just cuz like man it would just been fun to like be able to like reflect on the stories and you know like yeah like i was like i know there's people that have like cool full tilt gear and like you know there's all just all sorts of stuff from that age that i was never a part of but it's it's interesting because there's like a certain divide i think um between like the pre-black friday and the post-black friday people as far as like when you started just like the way that people think about the game and approach the game and um it's just interesting i know a lot of there's like a new look like to you there's like a, i would say there's like a new age of people that are just kind of like unheard of that like no one really knows about and the reason is because like the pro like the live scene is so dominant in the u.s relative to the online scene i think this isn't as much the case in like the europe markets where you have like the regulated sites and things uh but i think that because of the online situation in the u.s I think the online grinders in the U.S. are just, like, kind of swept under the rug um, and not really, like, noticed or paid attention to. And so I think, and and to some extent, it's, like, a bankroll thing as well, just because, obviously, to play, like, live 1,700 mains on the circuit, you need a fairly massive bankroll or you need a backer or you need whatever, um, whereas online, you know, you can reg, two 18s, one nines with a lot smaller of a role. Uh, and so I think I wouldn't be surprised. And I, I've predicted this a few times. I think it's already kind of coming to fruition a little bit. I think there's going to be this interesting like surge of like high level regs that kind of start from no, like no one really knows who they are for like a certain amount of time just because they've been grinding online and no one's really been paying attention to them. And to be fair, let me be clear. I'm not even really including myself in this conversation. Cause like I still can't really defend against three bets out of position. So like we gotta, we gotta get that <laughs> covered first, but I, I've definitely noticed like there, there's definitely some people that I think people aren't aware of right now that are going to be coming to the forefront of poker in the next two, three, four years that people are just going to like be like, Oh man, like that guy seems to come out of nowhere. But like people that are in the online U S poker community are like, no, that guy's been a crusher for a decent trip of time. Yeah. And that's, that's how it is a lot of times when people become a known entity, it just doesn't just happen overnight. It's the yeah. systematic working of throughout their career, putting themselves in a position to get that recognition. However, in the U S right now, there's almost no incentive to, broadcast what you're doing yeah. on any site. You can't get sponsorship. You don't want to reveal strat. There's just really no real incentive. In the golden age of poker, the incentive was like, I want to be a full tilt pro. I want to get 100% rake back. I want to get a stipend of 10K a month for wearing this patch, right? Yeah. And like when you take away all the financial incentive, like for me, going back to Twitch, one of the reasons why... I have done Twitch in the past is because I have a business model behind what I'm doing. I have a thing to promote and there's a mm -hmm. reason why I'm streaming. When I'm not promoting anything, then I see almost no incentive to show people how I play and to reveal things and to basically take my attention away from the task at hand, which is 
hard enough as it is as a single task. Uh, yeah. It's going to cost me money with absolutely no return. So I, I think that as legalization spreads over time, we probably will start seeing more poker star, poker superstars develop in the U.S. market. But you're right. I mean, there, there's kind of like a, a lost a lost generation when it yeah. comes to the online poker players because all the people that are famous now were pretty much famous back then as well. Yeah. There's not really been the natural evolution of like, you know, like LeBron now succeeding Jordan or like, I mean, I, we're not, <laughs> the, the intent is not to get into a bait about who's better, but just that like, you know, this is like the new age of basketball. This is the new, you know, you, you kind of, the sport evolves, all sports generally evolve or all games evolve with like who is like the top level people. We haven't seen that in the U S market in poker. And I think that's kind of the reason. Yeah. You see it in the euros, like the euros, yeah. they have a bunch of Absolutely. Young, young, brilliant studs in the euro market that everybody knows Fedor, all mm-hmm. those guys. So anyway, you, you get your money on global yeah. and you're, you got your little fish pond to yourself. You're crushing, oh, you're, you're great. building your bankroll. It's wonderful. <laughs> Life is good. So what happens after that? Yeah. So then, uh, I think there was a streamer by the name of Tizzle. He was the only one streaming any global at the time. Um, and I had, I'd like dropped by his stream a few times. Uh, and I'd been like, man, this streaming thing, like, it seems kind of cool. Like, I definitely feel like, uh, you know, I definitely feel like it's something that I could, I could do, I could get behind. Like, it just seems like fun. Um, and obviously I'm still like playing recreationally. So it's like, yeah, like, why not? Like, this sounds fun. And so, for about so that was March 2018 I started streaming uh and for the first like three four months I'm just streaming to like like I tell people that starting out streams all the time I don't expect big numbers really quick like it just doesn't happen it was three months before I even hit like double digit viewers like before I had 10 people in my stream and I was playing I was playing like 110 sitting I was playing like it wasn't like it was like you know I was playing like dollar games like it was like some high stakes ish stuff mid stakes is stuff. Um, yeah, it's tough. and so, and so, yeah. And so like, I just grinded cause it was fun and, and it wasn't about, you know, the number of viewers. It wasn't, there was never a goal of like, Oh man, like I hope I hit this many viewers or, Oh man, I hope, you know, whatever. Like it was just, Oh man, like I want to play some poker today. I want to log on and, you know, like stream and talk to people and do whatever. Um, and then from there just kind of built little by little and global has kind of grown and then next thing you know, um, you know, everything just kind of grew. Everything just kind of snowballed. And we kind of talked about that earlier. When we were talking about how, you know, as you grow, you just kind of start to get more found out and things. But um, and then there's just been a lot of cool milestones on the way, um, whether it's like the keep the lights on challenge that I did with Jamie Krista or Jeff Platt, potential reaching out and asking me if I want to be on the Learn Pro Poker like affiliate team just like all sorts of stuff like that. That's just been like, man, like this is really cool. Like now I'm getting to connect with, with like, I mean, people that I like, I like see, like, I mean, Jeff Platt and Jamie Kirsten are, I'm like, they are, they are important people in the poker world. And like, I am on a phone call with them. Like we are in a conference call. Like how cool is this, you know? And so I don't know. It's just, it's been just such a cool experience to go from like where I started five years ago to now being like, man, like this is, this is really cool. Like I've built something. And I think ultimately, to some extent, I think humans just generally like there's a certain desire to just like build something, you know, like I want I want my life at the end of the day to be like, wow, like that person accomplished something with his time. And like, I think there's a lot of value to that. We always 
overestimate how much we can do in one year and dramatically underestimate how much we can do in 10 years Mm. if you keep to the same task. And my streaming, my streaming experience, I've streamed intermittently, right? Back in the day, I would get around 100 to 150 viewers on Bovada I was streaming. Then I didn't stream for like three years. And I came back and I was streaming 1530 No Limit effectively in the US. And it was like 18 people. (laughs) I'm like, this is so stupid. (laughs) Like this dude, like I'm streaming 30 times bigger than some of these people that have like hundreds of people watching them. So like, it wasn't a function of like the stakes that you play, even though you can obviously think that if you play bigger stakes, you get a bigger audience, but it's about consistency in the streaming world. And you know, you're in Mississippi, right? You're in Mississippi. You're building your thing up on global Mm -hmm. How do you make it to Vegas? And I assume, are you still teaching in Vegas? Is poker your full-time deal? Yeah, so now I'm a, now I'm a full-time player. Um, I actually moved. So I'm right now in what we call the Grindhouse, um, which is uh, myself, uh, Jay Smith, 84 Poker, um, who is, he actually just binked 42K off on ACR uh, last week, I think. He was also 11-handed in the WSOP circuit event the online one that happened like two or three days ago. And we were like sweating him super hardcore. Um, Melissa, who's just a grill. Um, and then uh, Aria Folding, who uh, is actually more an opera um, performer, which is super exciting. Um, and so we're all just kind of like grinding and then Fenden Hall as well as like another kind of online. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like two months, 2 million, but like with much more tempered expectations um and well, they didn't also make, they didn't make it to two million they so didn't make it even really yeah matter. they didn't even make it close <laughs> um yeah. but it's it's actually really cool to just be around people um because i lived by myself for a year or so and living i would i would recommend if you have the opportunity to live by yourself like with no roommates for like some amount of time i think it's a very valuable just like experience to kind of like see how you interact with the world in that situation when there's not people telling you you know you need to do X, Y, and Z today, you know, whether it's like just expectation of like, whatever. I think it helped me prove a lot to myself that like, when I'm like every, every morning, you know, the bed gets made every morning, this happens, you know, you get in that routine and it's like, all right, like I know, I know how to develop a role within myself to get myself where I want to go. Well, you and, need- and so that was a very valuable experience. The self-discipline translates to specifically poker because Absolutely. Poker, you have autonomy to do what you want to do. And if you're not self-disciplined, it will crush you at the end of the day. You'll find yourself feeling lots of regret about not taking advantage of good games when you have the opportunity mm-hmm. of not putting in the volume. So you just need discipline. You need discipline to fire up your tables when you're getting smashed every single day and you feel like you can't do anything right. Like That requires yeah. willpower to make that happen. And now that you're in a grind house, um, what's the difference there as far as living alone versus being in a grind house surrounded and immersed in poker 24 seven? Yeah. So it's, it's an incredible feeling because I mean, like right now I wouldn't be surprised if somebody's upstairs in the grind room, just like playing, like, just like someone is always grinding and, and it motivates you when you see the other people in the house, like logging on. 15 tabling, 16 tabling, whatever. It's like, man, like I got to get going. Like I haven't played today. Like, what am I doing? You know? 
and we all it's also fun because like we all have like i think in order to be a poker player you have to have like a little bit of degenerate in you like just because of the variance you have to have that that aspect um so we have like a betting board on the fridge too where like we all have five dollar bills and so we'll like do challenges or whatever like i lost a challenge yesterday because there was like about a fourth of a cake left and i was like somebody joked like oh man like it's too bad that like nobody can eat that all and i was like oh i can eat it all and they're like done like good luck like five dollars you know and i i came very close it was like i i would say i probably ate four sixths of the cake which like wasn't the point where i could like finish you know like i still had i still had a decent chunk to go um but so it's it's really fun to just be with people that are going to be in that mentality that you know, we're going to push ourselves, we're going to do what we need to do. And then also just have similar personality types. Yeah, it's a lot easier to be motivated and disciplined when you're part of a, it's not a team, but kind of effectively a team of training partners who you live yeah. with that push you when you otherwise would not push yourself. I think that's uh, it's a really big step to take in your career. And, you know, you're young, so you can get away with it, I assume, almost no responsibilities. So yeah. you, ha- you have that opportunity, right? Um, yeah. I say on the show very, very often that we're the average of the five people we spend the most time with. And when it comes to poker, that is 100% applicable as well. Find yeah. people that you can spend time with so that y'all can grow from each other. Iron sharpens iron. You've heard me talk early and often about how improving your awareness while you're playing cards so that you make better decisions in the moment and notice trouble spots that merit deeper consideration is one of the most valuable things you can do to make more money on the felt. In my conversation with the only four-time WPT main event champion ever, Darren Elias, he told me that his ability to shut out all of the distractions in the world and fully focus on making great decision after great decision is his superpower he most attributes to his success. And you cannot improve your awareness at the tables without being fully present. When you learn how to stay fully in the moment on the green felt, you can finally have a clear path to becoming the absolute best version of yourself. Which leads me to Jason Sue. Jason is one of the foremost authorities on the planet when it comes to playing poker with presence. As a matter of fact, he even wrote the book on it. Here's a direct quote from Nick Howard at Poker Detox on Jason's ability to help you stay focused. Quote, Jason's work is a new paradigm in poker and performance. End quote. And these aren't just empty words. Nick has put his money where his mouth is by hiring Jason to coach up the Poker Detox crew. And as a loyal listener of Chasing Poker Greatness, you know by now that I would not be promoting anything I didn't 100% believe would improve your poker skills and your life. So if you want to master your emotions and perform at your peak with presence while doing battle in the arena, you'd be doing yourself a grave disservice if you didn't check out Jason's work at PokerWithPresence.com. One final time, that's PokerWithPresence.com. So you moved to Vegas. You're doing this. How long have you lived in Vegas now? This is, I'm just fresh here. Uh, I just got here a week ago. Oh, um, one week. It was, a, it, was a, it was a journey. I actually drove from Illinois, and it was actually really fun. I went through the, the Rocky Mountains, uh, and going through the Rocky Mountains, and, and we took um, – 
we kind of like veered off. We would visited the matchless mine, which is um, like a silver mine that's kind of up. It's the highest um, incorporated town. It's in the highest incorporated town in the U S like altitude wise. Um, so we like veered there, but we spent, we were probably in the mountains for eight hours and driving through the Rocky mountains is such an interesting experience. Cause it gets to the point where you, when you start, you like go through Denver and you're like, Oh man, like this is so cool. Like I'd never really experienced mountains to that effect, but like four or five hours in, uh, just like winding around mountains constantly, it genuinely feels like you're just never leaving the mountains. It feels like you're in like, you, you're, you got trapped in a labyrinth and you're never leaving the mountains. And this is your life now, just driving around the mountains for, for eternity. Um, but we made it out and made it. it was good Who's stuff. we? Who's the we that? Aria is my, uh, uh, I'm in a relationship with Aria. She came with me. She's currently still, I guess, technically living in Illinois, but she's moving out here. Uh, with us she made the trip with me just to like make it easier to you know road trips are always more fun when you're when you're with someone when you have somebody to talk to for sure yeah for sure so when you think about joy in your career playing poker yeah what's the first memory that comes to mind let's see i would say so it's tricky because i like i like famously like i'm i'm there's a there's a rule in the house i'm not allowed in the grind room because i've not yet had a five-figure score like at all, like online live, I've never had a five figure score. I like just consistently come up short in, in those spots. Um, and I've like done a lot of like mental game work to like try and figure out if like I'm playing too tight late in big tournaments or like what's going on. Um, but for whatever reason, like my biggest score so far is only 6K. Let's go um, back. Let's go back to the very beginning of this conversation. Okay. Where we're just running, right? Like yeah. we're just running in our poker career and the variance in just single table sit and goes is very, very high. Yeah. Going back to the, back to party poker and the 200 sit and goes, I know there were specifically days where I would fire up like 24, go over 24 mm-hmm. and it happens. And when you talk about final tables, it's a sit and go with 10 people left and you can run really well or you can run really bad. And I think that in a lot of ways, variance is going to be a major player in these results and final tables so like to me you know you're doing the mental game work you're trying to figure out what the problem is and very likely there's probably no problem you you have tons of experience playing sit and goes and if you just make enough of them eventually it'll just even itself out that's the variance is you know it's very tricky very tricky variance oh yeah for sure but you'll get there oh yeah no for sure but i would say the most fun is just like there's not even like really a specific time I can think of, but any time that I'm deep in something and you can like feel the stream energy, I guess I might even say, so I just moved like a week ago and I had sold cause like it wasn't worth it to like buy a moving truck cause I didn't have that much stuff. So I just like sold anything that I wasn't going to move. Um, and so I had sold my desk. I'd sold my chair excuse me, like my gaming chair. And so I literally, there was a hundred K, there was a 540 K that I had a ticket for. And I was like, well, like, we're just going to one table this. And I was, I was going to leave. Like I was, I was going to, whenever I busted, like I would shut the stream down and I would leave. And then I got deep. <laughs> it was like, Oh my God. And so there was this real, I ended up getting 43rd, which was unfortunate. Um, Cause there was like probably 40 K up top. 
And I remember just like being like, man, like this would be the most insane story. Like I sold my desk. I'm literally, I'm literally streaming from the ground. Like I've got my comforter, like I'm laying on my comforter. I have like a pillow. Like I've got my feet up in the air behind me. Cause I'm just like laying, trying to be like moderately comfortable on like a vinyl floor. And of course, like as we're getting deeper and deeper, people are like, oh my God, this is crazy. Uh, but what was really cool is after we busted, everyone was like, you know, GGs, you know, whatever. And like so many people, like all of chat was just like, hey man, like be safe on the road to Vegas, like good luck. And just like to have built a community and to be in a community where like everyone cares about like my well-being as a person outside of, you know, my poker play and like whatever, to be in a spot where like, you know, I use, I genuinely like, I would say 85% of the time I like talk about like, we're deep, you know, like all of Blazer Nation is deep. Like we are in this together. It's not like a me thing. Um, Cause chat like in Twitch, like chat can absolutely give you energy. Like that's a real thing that happens where like, if your chat is putting off a negative vibe, it can genuinely affect your play. And if chat's really like building you up, like that can make you play better just because of the mental game things that we talked about where like, if you're, if you're, looking at your comments if you're looking at chat and like everything's like oh man like you missed you missed that play with deuces or you missed that play with sevens like you know it it affects your mental game a little bit and so I've had times where if my chat's being really negative I'll like hide chat and I'll just be like I'm not looking I'm not gonna look because like they're off on some hand that like I took whatever line I took and like I thought it was good at the time and I'll review it later because apparently a lot of people think it wasn't good but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna deal with that because that's throwing off my mental state and like I need to be in the zone here yeah I could imagine that being pretty tough especially early on in your career where you're getting a lot of opinions a lot of outside a lot of noise in the background uh Mm. typically I would say that it's better to just say whatever man you know whatever guys whatever yeah I'm the one in the arena. I'm making oh, the decisions. For sure. I get for to sure. do this. This is my money. But uh, <laughs> for the most part, like no matter w- what you do, you make a training video, you make a YouTube video, you're going to get feedback that is negative. And that's Absolutely. just human nature. Uh, and I, I think that as, as you get more comfortable getting that criticism, eventually you're just like, ah, whatever. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I suck. That's cool. I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep sucking it up for the rest of this session, right? <laughs> um, when you when you think of pain in your poker career, what's yeah. the first memory that comes to mind? Uh, so I went on a really rough downswing uh, in September of 2019. Um, I it was probably about 16k. I was down over like the course of like a monthish, uh, and I had some like personal things going on too, and so like basically I remember like my whole life just kind of like collapsing in and being like, man, like this is not good. And I had, I was on like the 16 K downswing and I finally binked something. I binked something for like 2.5 K. And I remember I'd been, I'd been going on a run every morning. I'd been going on a two mile run every morning and like, it was tough, like whatever. Um, And I remember that morning after that bink, being like a little, like just a little more happy on that run than I'd been on like any of the previous runs. And I remember thinking like, okay, cause I'd said the entire time, like I'd said to my stream, I'd said to everyone like, you know, like my mental game is still sharp. Like guys, I'm still in a good mood. Like, you know, we're on this 16 K downswing, but like, we're good. We're good. And I like tried to believe that. 
And like, it just like, I, it wasn't true. Like it just, it just wasn't true. And I didn't realize that until I got that bank and I got that little spark in me on the run the next morning. And I was like, Oh man, like I am not in a good mental state. Um, and then I think it was that night, maybe um, somebody came in, I'm trying to think, I think it was stretchy claws came in and requested a song and it was just a song about like basically like not being okay, but like not wanting to talk about that. You're not okay. And I like just start, I just started crying like on stream to like 60, 70 people. I was just like bawling. And I was like, guys, like, I'm not okay. Like, this is bad. Like, I don't know what's going on. Uh, and so then I took probably like a month or so. And I was just kind of like trying to figure out like, okay, like what is, what's my place in the world? Like, what is this, you know, what does this look like? Like, what am I trying to do? And fortunately, I've kind of come through that the other end. And I think anytime, you know, we all go through rough things in our life. I think anytime you can go through something rough in your life, you can come out the other side of that. I think it just builds you as a person. Because like now I know, you know, like I can conquer a lot of things. There's a certain power in knowing that like that you've been through things and you can get through, you can get through what you need to get through, you know? You only are able to find your limits as a human when you are pushed to your limits. Mm -hmm. Typically, if you stay in your comfort zone, then you never know what your limit is. And you may keep yourself small by never truly experiencing what it means to struggle and be pushed to the breaking point. Did you ever figure out exactly what was wrong? How did you write your ship? I would say it was more stuff I just had to process I mean like I had always been kind of the person that just kind of believed that like okay like I can shake off any emotion like I'm stronger than my emotions it's kind of like that was that was kind of my belief before that experience is like I can I can drive the analytic part of my brain so hard that I can just ignore anything going on yeah you just stuff um, it down below yeah never yeah, yeah. deal with it throw it in the box good. We'll throw the box way up in the attic and we'll be good to go. Always works um, out for everyone. Yeah. And and like, it's funny, right? Because like me saying that now, it's like, oh yeah, like you've, you've not heard anyone ever say that that doesn't work. Like, it's like very common. Like, yeah, everyone knows that doesn't work. But when you're, when you're the one that's living it, it's obviously a lot, like everyone thinks that their experience is unique, right? Uh, and so I just had to like, I just had to process like a lot of like stuff that was going on and it's tricky. I, I still hold, I don't think I was playing like terribly. I don't think I was punting, but I like, I think the mental thing was affecting it at the very least. Like I may have been plus EV, but I don't think that I was like, I don't think that I was playing at the level I'm playing at now. Um, and so I think you, a lot of times you just have to go through and you just have to unpack what you're going through, even if it doesn't feel like that's something you want to do. Cause like, it's never going to be something you want to do. You're just going to have to unpack it. Really. When you try to, bury those emotions, you're trying to save yourself from being vulnerable because mm -hmm. being vulnerable can be very scary. And obviously you're vulnerable to criticism. You're vulnerable to people just crushing your whole spirit and your whole world. And what I found a lot of times is that human beings, when they encounter someone who is being vulnerable with their emotions and just leaving it all in line like that, they're very compassionate and sympathetic mm -hmm. compared to someone who boxes it away. It's a lot harder to have sympathy. I think there's a psychology book that I read 
And it basically asks in an argument, like, how do you feel when you look at these pictures? And like one person is angry and then the other person is somebody who's crying with like tears running down their face. And obviously you have a very dramatic reaction to the person crying because this is, you see the pain, you feel it. Um, yeah. It's just hard to get there, you know, and getting there in front of your Twitch stream, I'm sure yeah. had, had to be a pretty intense experience. What were your, what was going through your head while, while you yeah. were falling? Well, it was, in, I was like eight tabling. Like I didn't, I didn't like wake up that morning thinking like, oh yeah, like, you know, like I thought when I went on that run, I had that spark. I was like, okay, like, you know, like, I thought that was a good sign. Like I thought that was like, I'm doing good. Like it was just some run bad had me in some bad spots. Like we're good. And so when that song gets played and I like realize like how much I have and like, I'm like eight tabling, like I don't have time to cry right now. There's like, five hundred six hundred dollars on the screen like i can't be and so i'm sitting there and i'm like and and i had shared i'm very open with like my life with my twitch stream um because i think that's important as a streamer is to like so go ahead at least tell us tell us what you were going yeah so so i had yeah i had um my ex-fiance um we were supposed to get married in june of 2019 uh and she broke that off in like may of 2019 Uh, And so I just like, kind of like tried to like move on from that very quickly and without like processing what that looked like. And so there was no point until that moment in like September, October, when I was like, all right, like I need to actually unpack all of the emotion that I've built up from this. Um, And so, yeah, so I, I'm sitting there and I'm very open with my Twitch stream about like what had happened I had a highlight video that like had kind of like been like a very sad highlight video where I'm like, you know, getting sucked out on and like, I'm talking about that situation and a lot of bad things going on. And so my Twitch stream was all kind of like, yeah, dude, like we know you haven't been okay. Like that's, that's not anything that we're not aware of. Like we, like we want you to be crying on stream right now. Cause like we needed you to process this. And um, it's very cool to be around, be in a community where, like people are going to support you and people aren't, you know, I mean, it's Twitch, it's the internet. Like I could have had 50 people in there like, ha ha, look at that guy crying on stream. What a loser, you know, like that's a thing that could have happened. And so it was really cool that like, that wasn't my stream's reaction at all. And they were like, dude, keep streaming. Like what you're going to log off and go like cry in bed. Like, you know, you know, we're here for you. We know, you know, we want to support you. And like, we're still going to root for you. Like play out these tournaments, do what you need to do. So it was just, it was a really cool, powerful experience to go through that. Um, it's not an experience I would like to necessarily have again, but if it happens at the very least, I'll know that, you know, my community is going to be there for me, which is really, really nice. Yeah, Brian, that's awesome. I'm another big believer in your vibe attracts your tribe. So mm-hmm. how you interact and treat people, uh, that's reflected in the community that you've built. So I would say that it's a service to you and who you are as a human that you've been able to collect these people who have your back in almost a familial type way. Mm-hmm. That's very, very impressive because you did it on Twitch. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> right? Like, in the land of trolls. Like, and it's, it's real funny too. And, and I have people occasionally will comment like, is this, cause I'm like, I'm like very excited on, you know, stream and I'm like, 
talking about like we had a debate for like two hours about like ranking various cereals and i was holding to that like fruit loops is a mid-tier cereal because if you put fruit loops in the top tier then you have to put frosted flakes in the top tier you have to put lucky charms in the, like there's a whole issue with putting and I, I get people all the time like is he actually like is this just all like a show like is he actually like this and like everyone that i interact with like in the grindhouse and things they're all like oh no yeah like he's he's a strange dude like he'll he'll come do all sorts of weird things like that's just who he is i was actually a mascot i was um i went to college at marquette for mechanical engineering and i was the mascot for like the basketball team the volleyball team you know and i think to some extent like there's some type of that that's just like so my personality just like the ability to just like be really zany in spots and just like when you're a mascot, it's really funny because like people just let you do anything. Like I would like steal people's cell phones and like run away. And it's like hilarious. Cause it's the mascot. But like, man, like if I was just a dude doing that, like <laughs> it'd be a very bad thing. And so I think like everything in my life has kind of like trained me to this point where like, I'm kind of incorporating a lot of stuff and it's just a lot of fun. I'm just having, I'm just having the most fun in my life right now. And like, this is what I get to do for like, as long as I want to do it. And I'm just so excited. Any funny mascot stories? Have you ever gotten yourself oh. into trouble being a mascot? Oh, Have you thousands. crossed the line? Yes. All sorts of, um, so it was really interesting. Cause so I like the mascot costume was like in the gym, like buried in the gym and I had access to it. And so it was like, what was finals. it? Let's it describe was a, it was the costume. Yeah. It was a golden Eagle. It was, so actually the reason I was chosen, this is an interesting story too, because I wasn't, I got an email I wasn't supposed to get. Basically somebody was like, Oh, they're looking for tall people to be the mascot. Cause the costume's really, really big. And I'm six, eight. Um, Holy and shit. so, yeah, yeah, I'm a big dude. And so I was like, oh, okay, that sounds, that sounds like me. And so I emailed the person that was in charge of the mascot. And I was like, Hey, like, you know, heard you're looking for people. Like I'd love to do it, whatever. And didn't hear back. And so I emailed like two days later, I'm like, Hey, like just following up, you know, wanted to, wanted to throw it in there. And I emailed the person, I think I emailed her like four times, like just like kind of checking in like, Hey, like I'm really interested. Um, and, and I'm like a very persistent person. Like there are all sorts of stories in my life where I'll like, just like, and not to an annoying ascent, but just like, Hey, like I'm still interested in this thing. So like, if you're looking, if you're looking like, please hit me up. I'm like, so that's not outside of my character. And so finally she's just like, all right, like come to a volleyball game. Like, we'll try out, see how it looks. And like, you know, if you, if, you know, if it looks good, then, you know, you can be mascot. And I'm like, okay, cool. And so I'm like, just so fired up for this volleyball game. Like, I'm ready to, I'm ready to prove myself. I'm like, I'm like over the moon with how excited I am. And so I'm doing like all sorts of fun stuff and it's just a good time. Um, And so I have like, I, I would, I would like throw a volleyball to the, like on break, I would throw a volleyball into the stands and then I'd like run like a football wide receiver route and I'd have him throw it to me. I'd like dive and catch it and be like, touchdown. I like do a touchdown celebration. Dance. So there's just like all sorts of things like that. What's that your name? Like doing Golden Eagle. Your name, not, your was, name is Golden Eagle? Golden that's, Eagle. Yeah. That's, it was a, that's a very a generic name. name. Yeah, like like the Philly fanatic. So the Golden yeah. Eagles running these the routes, yeah. catching touchdowns at the volleyball. Catching touchdowns. But I remember one time I got in trouble because I kind of at that point assumed like I could just kind of do what I wanted. That wasn't necessarily the case, but like, um, <laughs> and so, so it was finals week. Like, so this is like, I don't know, a year and a half later, it's finals week. 
And I'm like, you know, it'd be really fun is if I put on the mascot outfit and I just like ran around the library and just like, you know, people were studying and like, there I am like stealing their book or stealing their pencil and just like laying on the library table. Like that's hilarious. Right. And so um, a bunch of people are like posting stuff to Instagram and like people are like loving that, like the golden Eagle is like in the library. Like this is the coolest thing. And I get an email from my boss, like two days later. And she's like, so yeah, so you can't, you know, you can't just like take the mascot outfit out whenever you want. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, but you know, you know, it worked out well. Like, you know, this is a good thing. You know, but like, I understand the, the, I understand I'm getting a slap on the wrist here. I accept my slap on the wrist, but can you just like, can you just wink and tell me like, yeah, that was a clever idea. Like, <laughs> but that was the only time I really like, I really like pushed the line and like got like a little, a little, Hey, you need to watch what you're doing. For the most part, it was just like, but I would do like, we would go on trips. Like I was um, in the big East, the big East tournament, like in Madison square garden. And I got to be like on the floor in Madison square garden. And I touched the net. Uh, like as we were running off one time, like I touched that because I was like, I'm on Madison, I'm on the floor at Madison Square Garden. When am I ever going to have an opportunity to touch this net? And so I like jumped up and touched the net. And there's just a lot of like cool experiences from that as well. It was a lot of fun. I'm like so thankful, so thankful that I had the opportunity to do that. So transitioning from the Golden Eagle to mm-hmm. the Golden Blazer. Yes. Any, how, how did that no work? No relation. No yeah. relation. Just so this is, this is actually an enti- entirely different story. Um, I was playing ESPN Streak for the Cash, which you may or may not. It was, it's basically a fantasy game on ESPN. It's like a daily pick'em type game. Um, it was a lot bigger back in the day. I think it's called, I mean, obviously it's called now, but it was kind of pre-DFS. So DFS obviously starts um, getting ground in like 2015 or so. Streak for the Cash, I would say, was kind of like laid the found- foundation for that to some extent. And so basically you would just pick, you know, it's basically sports betting, but without the, like the betting part is just, you know, you pick whoever gets the most wins. Um, but there were probably good 5,000, 10,000 people that were, were kind of like regs on there. Um, and so I ended up winning, but I won under my, uh, like I had an account that was mass beast nine, which was actually my dad's account. Because when I had signed up on ESPN originally, I was in like fourth grade because I was like really, I was really excited about fantasy football. My parents actually paid for me to have a fantasy football team. Uh, that was like my birthday present in August. They gave me like an early birthday present. And it was undoubtedly the best like $30 they ever spent because like I was entertained for four months. Like it was just every Sunday I had my, I had my Tory Holt jersey on. And I was just like, yes, this is the most fun. Uh, and so that was back. They didn't even have free leagues then. You had to pay. If you wanted to play fantasy football, you had to pay. And so I had made an account then. And like, I was in fourth grade. So like my dad's name was on it. And he was like, hey, like you need to make your own account because like, you know, like there's tax information because it's two, you know, it was like 2.5K prize or something like that. Like, you know, like you need to, you know, this isn't my stuff. And I was like, okay. So I knew then that was, I was a freshman in college at the time. And I knew then like, all right, like I'm, I was mass beast. Like, we're going to get rid of that. Like I need to come up with a name, you know, I don't know what my, I need to come up with an online username. And so I had, I'd always thought it would be really cool if I could like rearrange the letters of my name 
and make it something so that if you unrearrange them, then it was my name. I thought that concept was really cool. And so I, I tried that and like nothing popped up, which is like unsurprising. But I was like, ah, oh, like that's disappointing. But six <laughs> of the letters were blazer. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like I could get behind that. I could be the blazer. And so for probably about like a month or so, I was the blazer. And then I was like, the blazers, there's, there's too short. Like I need, I need a little more, I need a little more in the mouth when you're pronouncing it. Um, and so I was like, all right, the golden, the golden blazer sounds cool. Not related, obviously like the clothing, but not related to that at all. Um, it just kind of like started and then it's just kind of built from there and it's been, it's been so fun, but yeah, so that was where it started. It was just happenstance. Yeah. yeah the, the mascot in you, you know, you, you knew you needed a persona. That's right. And you invested a lot of time and energy into coming up with that persona. Yeah. I can absolutely. say with a little bit of shame that when it comes to creating online names for things, I go to like random generators. And no! <laughs> oh, no. Like, you have to, there's so many different names you have to come up with, like across all the sites and across True. all the things and it's like, oh my God, I have to create another name. Like, yeah. Well, and W and sometimes you get restricted because like WSOP only lets you have eight characters in your name. So I'm TGB poker on there. I'm not the golden blazer because of that. And so it's just like some, sometimes you get restricted weirdly and you can't go with your typical one. And there's all sorts of things like that. Happens. Yeah, Happens. Sure. So let's do a little bit of lightning round. And okay. Then, then we'll call it, sir. Sounds good. All right. So. If you could erect a billboard, every poker player has to drive past on the way to the casino. What does it say? Stop open limping. So you're you're, you're strategizing. You're you're helping people. I'm, I'm helping them out. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. They'll they'll play just as poorly with raises. That's fine. <laughs> no, I just. Getting a little insight into oh, yeah. who you are as a human being. I think oh, that's, yeah. that says something. You're, you're trying to help people. Trying to help out. They're still going to limp. They don't, even I if know. they see the billboard, they don't care. They're going to limp. Um, <laughs> what's your current big goal as related to poker? I need to bank, I need to bank a 5K, a five figure score because I get made fun of in the grindhouse for no five figure score. So that means that <laughs> it's like, it's like that's not typically the way that I would like orient my goals like at all. But like, that's kind of like a, that's a kind of a little cloud hanging over my head right now is that I don't have any five figure scores live or online. Um, so I need to get that monkey off my back. So not to make you feel worse, but I mm. probably have five plus five figure scores and I've played two tournaments in the last seven years. <laughs> yeah. That sounds, that sounds like, yeah. All right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um but in your defense there the landscape of online poker is such that there aren't a ton of tournaments that run all the time that even have five figure scores at the top of the leaderboard right yeah. so like back in the day the 2004 2005 you know there are 200k's every single night 200 plus 15's first place is 55 60k for sure every single day of the week on party poker and naturally you're going to have five figure scores. If you are playing thousand people fields for sure. nightly, um, you'll get there though. Don't worry. Oh, it, I have just, full confidence. See, like this is how I, as I've gotten older in life, I, I've learned to be grateful for this time when you're struggling, right? 
how mm-hmm. sweet is it going to be when you do get there? Like I remember yes. um, my wife and I, we were good friends before we started dating. And uh, I remember the night she was coming over for the first time as like non-friends. And I remember sitting on my couch and just like, you know, the nerves when you're getting, you know, you're getting ready to go out on like basically a first date with somebody and you're nervous and you're anxious. And she was driving two hours and it's like, God, why is it taking so long? She's running late. I wish she would just get here. I remember vividly thinking like, be grateful for this time. Like be grateful for this moment, this anxiousness, this energy, because if everything goes according to plan, you don't get that anymore. Right. Yeah. Don't, it's something that only happens the first few times that, that you experience it. So it'll be very sweet when you do get your five figure score, which you inevitably will if you're in, Oh yeah. I mean, any dummy could get a five figure score if they're in poker long enough. Like you, you fire enough bullets. Yeah, exactly. Anybody could get it. Any dummy like me could get a five figure score. (laughs) You just got to fire enough bullets. Exactly. I'm just gonna. Um, I'm. I'm gonna convince them to let me re-enter the main. That's what I'll do, guys. Can I just? I'll just. Re, I'll just fire. Fine. <laughs> just keep firing at the main. Actually, when WSOP comes back around, you'll have plenty of opportunities. I'm it's sure true. To get your five-figure score. Yeah. You have any projects you're working on right now that are near and dear to your heart? I would say I'm really trying to build up my YouTube channel. I know you mentioned that, like, you've like seen some YouTube stuff and like. I'm really trying to build that up. I have like no video editing experience, no like following or traffic on YouTube or anything like that. But like, I've really enjoyed, like I have my punch of the week. I post every week. I've got highlight video. I post every week. And then like Wednesdays I do like some informational vids, whether it's like, you know, like, Hey, like here's this thing about like the people think online poker's rigged. Like it's not, let's unpack why that is. Or like, um, this yesterday I posted, um, a video about like, Hey, like here are three habits that like winning poker players have. And they're like not related to poker. They're just like ways they approach the game and ways they think about the game. And like, you can just implement these. And so I'm like, I'm like really enjoying building up my YouTube channel because it's like not, it's like a completely new experience. It's like similar to streaming, but it's like streaming, like refined. Like when I stream, it's just like, whatever, like we can get on tangents about like who knows what for like far too long. Um, and then I like, I'm like, should I have really talked about that for three hours? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, so it's like YouTube is like Twitch, but like in a nicer package, I think. Yeah. You, there's produ- really production that. value behind YouTube and yeah. for the audience. I want to share this story because I thought it was hilarious. I was looking up Brian's YouTube and the first little thumbnail that I see is, is online poker rigged part three. And I click on the thumbnail, the video comes up and I see it has like five likes and like 19 or 20 dislikes. And I'm like, okay, who is this guy that I (laughs) agreed to let come on Chasing Poker Greatness? And I start watching the video. It is online poker rigged. And it is, you turn it on, you start watching it. And he just rails on people who think online poker is rigged. He calls them stupid (laughs) and fish and like... I just started dying laughing because I realized what's happened is people have searched on YouTube is online poker rigged because they're the type of person that thinks it is. And then they see this video that is making fun of them to their face and calling them fishes. And they're all disliking it. I laughed for 
a good few minutes before the start of this call, just imagining all of that. Working on my working on my search engine optimization for sure. I'm, I'm still I'm still learning how to how to how to get the traffic that's going to like my videos. Yeah, you have to understand who the person is who's stumbling across yeah. your videos <laughs> and not call them idiots. <laughs> it's a I'll, good I'll write I'll write that one down. That sounds like an important tip. <laughs> it's a good tip. It's an important tip. Cool, man. Last question. Where can the Chasing Poker Grayness audience find you on the World Wide Web? Yeah. So I would say mainly twitch.tv slash the Golden Blazer. Uh, I usually stream Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, night-ish. So the um, the weekday streams usually start at, well, now I have to figure out what, what time zone I should use. I'm so used to Central. Um, it would be probably about 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific. Um, Saturdays and Sundays usually start a little earlier just for the weekend grind. Also, YouTube, uh, you just search the Golden Blazer really anywhere. It'll pop up. Um, Twitter, at the Golden Blazer. Instagram is the underscore golden underscore blazer because the Golden Blazer was taken. <clears throat> so unfortunate. Um, but yeah, I'm very present on social media. You can even just Google whatever. Uh, and I would love for anyone to stop by. We have a really awesome community, especially on the Twitch stream. Um, a lot of people are just hanging out nightly and we're sweating each other and like, I'll pull up, you know, if somebody's deep in whatever, like I'll even just pull up their table and we'll sweat them and we'll all root them on. It's a really positive, engaging, fun community to be in. And I'm just really happy that I'm a part of it. Yeah. Check out the golden. What do you mean a part of it? You're the, well, you're I mean, the man, you're, you're the builder. Well, I'm, I'm of like, it. But like, we're all in it. Like we're, you know, like I'm, I'm the main one, but like, <laughs> you know, I'm nothing without the people that are in there. Like, otherwise if, if there weren't people watching that, I'd just be the guy with the flag behind me with a bunch of letters. Like what the guy, what is that guy doing? <laughs> we're all a part of it. We're all a part of it. It's true. I guess, I guess we'll see. <laughs> I don't know. All right, Brian, it's been fun. Had a lot of laughs. Good time. Uh, yeah. Let's have you back on in a year or so. See where you're at. See if you got that five-figure victory. I'll be so sad. I'll be so sad if a year from now I come back on and you're like, so five-figure score, and I'm like, not yet. <laughs> I'd be so sad. It'll be a lot of making fun of you. And yeah, that's fair. There probably won't be a part three because you'll hate me. <laughs> 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 you'll hate me at that point. Thanks for, mm-hmm. thanks for coming on, man. Take care. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. See you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.